This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insight on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Spring Conversations. spectrum? Why a diagnosis in adulthood matters. The good news is that autism awareness and diagnosis have improved by leaps and bounds over the last decade. Detection is now possible at a very early age. In fact, the American Academy of Pediatrics encourages screening for autistic features as early as 18 months. The bad news is that autism recognition initiatives have almost exclusively focused on early childhood, Low diagnosis rates of autism in adults who missed early detection have created a significant gap in our ability to provide vital assistance throughout the lifespan. As noted by T.S. Brugge, 2011, autism appears to be just as prevalent in our adult populations as in children, although it has been largely unrecognized. When an adult asks the question, do I have autism? It's often challenging for her to fend off the strong opinions of others. Everyone, from her aunt to her next-door neighbor, freely offers a quick viewpoint on the topic. One says, you don't have autism, while another adds, besides, a diagnosis won't make any difference. As a content expert in the field of autism in adults, Dr. Teresa Reagan is grateful to be a voice that brings you hope and direction. Although the benefits of receiving a diagnosis are too plentiful to list, she talks about the reasons a diagnosis of autism matters in adulthood. One of the reasons is validation. Time and again, Dr. Teresa has met newly diagnosed adults who have tears in their eyes as they share their amazement at the validation that the diagnosis brings. They finally feel heard, and they understand that their experiences are valid and important. Many on the spectrum describe a history of chronic fears that others have misjudged them. With a diagnosis, the autistic has words to express what makes her tick. One person said, Now I understand how I'm wired. I feel so much relief. Be assured that it's not only the autistic individual who benefits from the validation a diagnosis brings. Family members search for ways not only to understand their loved ones, but to describe their challenges to those outside the household. The spouse of an autistic adult expressed the frustration of seeking support from friends, only to have them disregard her experiences by saying, all men are like that. Clients and families receiving a diagnosis for the first time often remark, I wish I had known this earlier. Valeria interviews Dr. Teresa Reagan. Teresa Reagan, PhD, is a rare combination of adult neuropsychologist, specialist in brain-behavior relationships, parent of an amazing child on the autism spectrum, 
and Certified Autism Specialist with the IBCCES. She is deeply grateful to bring validation, hope, and purpose to individuals and their families living on the autism spectrum. With this mission at its core, she founded and directs the OSF Healthcare Adult Diagnostic Autism Center in Central Illinois. Her books include Understanding Autism in Adults, Aging Adults, and Understanding Autistic Behaviors. Here is the interview with Dr. Teresa Reagan. In your own words, who is Dr. Teresa Reagan? Well, I am a neuropsychologist, uh, so professionally I get to work with people about how the brain impacts thinking skills, emotions, behavior, and personality. Um, I really love working with people and I get to kind of travel with them when they're feeling confused about what's going on and help increase their self-awareness. And across that journey, I've started to really specialize in an autism area for adults. So that's kind of the, the focus and the commitment that I have right now. Yes, wonderful. Thank you for what you do. And we will explore that in the moment. Before we talk about autism and the connection between an autism diagnosis and well-being, I have a few warm-up questions for you, as I mentioned, off record. The first one is, what is life to you, Dr. Teresa? Uh, to me, I really love the vision of uh, continuously growing. And every year I try to, and I do this throughout the year, but I really like taking that moment, maybe when the new year is coming, just to see how I've changed. Um, so that's part of it. And I've really found a lot of uh, well-being for myself and being able to to bless other people as well, to honor them and and to just be part of their journey. So uh, that's kind of what I focus on and what I value. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really good to me. What is the opposite of life? I feel like it's when we're stuck, um, when we're our, when who we are is getting smaller and taking up less space. Um, and so the smaller we become, I feel like we really shut down. And so being able to have freedom to take up more space, to grow, to change, to fail, <laughs> to, uh, you know, to do all those things while we move forward, that's really an alive state to me. Yeah, yes. You mentioned freedom, and that's one of my next uh, questions. What is freedom to you? Um, to me, someone is free when they feel they feel good in their own skin, and they feel like they have options. I think so. I have the ability to be okay in this situation or that situation. I have options that I can use when unexpected things happen. Um, so again, it, it also is just that ability to take up more space and not to be so silent or hidden that you um, are very constrained. Yeah. It's similar to the answer you gave for the opposite of life, right? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of envision it as, um, you know, that balance or that, that place where we can lean toward, uh, quickly toward that small space, but that. Sometimes we need a little 
partnership or, or help getting to a, a broader space. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? I feel like it's that individual need to be seen and heard. Um, I think we talk a lot sometimes yeah. <laughs> and <True>. yet, yeah, <laughs> but sometimes we feel like the real person that we are isn't uh, validated, isn't appreciated. And maybe what we hear is a lot of information about how we can change and maybe we feel like we're really falling short. So I feel like when I work with people, one of the things that they feel that they've been on a journey for that they haven't gotten is that just that aha moment that somebody resonates with what your experience is. So on a personal level, I feel like that's really missing. Even though we talk a lot, sometimes we don't get to the root of what's being said or what's what's needed. That's true. And what gets in the way of achieving that being there, of getting to have this understanding? I think um, humans are so good at being categorical. So um, sometimes we get, we um, grasp or we um, embrace a journey towards self-improvement, but it's so, it's such a commitment to that, that we are always working to change. And if the people around us aren't changing and we aren't changing and we're not, quote, getting better, sometimes just where we're at right now gets missed and people start hiding or pushing against each other. Um, so I think that it, it's not that we don't want to move forward. That's really part of what I described as life. But um, being able to be present and to grow is a really hard balance for us, I think. That made me think about acceptance, so self-acceptance, surrender, letting go yeah. <laughs> of ideas, right? Right. And when we have to release kind of our own narrative of the story we tell ourselves about our life. And so those are complex human journeys, but they're so filled with growth and freedom and it makes them just so, so wonderful to watch. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, I have a few more warm up questions. My next one's about love. What is love to you? To me, love is seeing a person who's struggling, but looking beyond the struggle. So it's hard to put into words, but I feel like in the past, I probably really focused on helping people solve their problems without really seeing the value of them as a person. And I feel like one of the ways I've grown and I've really been challenged by other people who've helped me too, is just to look at someone and feel like I see this deep value in this person and that's why I'm engaging with them and that's why I'm honoring them as a person and honoring their journey. And to me, that's a way I've learned to love much better than I did before. So helping people is love, but really also seeing um, the value even when things aren't fixed. Yes. Yeah. What, where, and who is God to you? Um, I practice through the, the Christian faith, so I really believe in a personal God and a relational God, one that's creative and redeeming and restoring. So to me, when I honor God, it's when I 
you know, uh, I bring healing to a situation or I bring uh, restoring and rebuilding of what's been torn down or uh, so to me that that relational restorative God is uh, who I relate to the most. In my last warm-up question, what do you think is the purpose of the main purpose of your life? In general, I feel like it's to rebuild. Um, I think it's so, so interesting when I had a child um, and my son was struggling and uh, he ended up being diagnosed with autism. But my first feeling was like, I am not prepared for this. I don't know enough about it. I don't know what to do. And this voice in my head just said, you know what, your whole life has prepared you for this. And so I had to learn so much. And yet looking back, I could see this trajectory where I could bring meaning and rebuilding in a place that other people couldn't quite reach. Uh, So in general, I really commit to the rebuilding and specifically with the journey about the brain and autism, I really feel um, privileged to be able to sit in that place with people. Wow. When you say rebuilding. Yeah. So any, um, I think healing and there's just images of, uh, you know, the root, uh, the ruins um, or things that have been stolen, things that have been taken, things that have been not as far as a judgment of their value, but people just feel these, these broken places that, uh, so even restoration is probably a, a good word, but um, healing for sure, you know, regaining that hope, that hope and that, that gratitude. So all of that, I think, I love that. Yeah, regaining the hope and, and gratitude for life yeah, yeah, right. as, as it happens now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, Teresa. So let's talk about your work. What was the inspiration and intention for writing books on autism and for becoming an autism specialist? Well, I've always um, had the degree professionally of being a neuropsychologist. And that means that I've uh, specialized in understanding how the brain impacts not only thinking skills like memory or learning, but also emotions, personality, and behavior. And I specialized in adult neuropsychology. Usually people specialize in either pediatric or adult. Um, And so I worked a lot with dementia patients and traumatic brain injury and stroke, and I really valued working in that area. And then uh, my husband and I had our son and he really struggled with so many things that felt confusing to me. And people would give me a lot of advice, um, but not really understand or have a solution. And so when he was five, he was diagnosed on the autism spectrum. And interestingly for me, even though that was a really difficult word to start to say at first, it really... I know there's a concern. I think that life will get smaller, but for me, it really felt much larger once we got going that there's all these uh, strategies that we haven't used. There's all this information that's really helped me. Um, So having that open up was really impactful for me. And then going back to work, I'm seeing all these adults who are undiagnosed and I'm seeing a patient or working with a patient. And then I think, wait a minute. I know what this is. I live with this every day, (laughs) but I would never have recognized it if 
all, all I had was that book knowledge uh, in one graduate class about autism, but I didn't really know that and live with it and problem solve it. And so to have that open up and to realize that these are people who are struggling and there are very few adult providers at this stage that really can enter into that place um, and help them with some breakthrough. Um, so that's how I ended up focusing on the adult and the autistic population. Wow. And that's uh, one of my questions about why so many people, they choose not to pursue diagnosis. And that's my question later, one of which. But before that, let me get more basic. What is autism spectrum disorder? And what is the difference between autism and mental illnesses? So that's a really great question. I think it's very misunderstood still. So Autism is a neurologic, uh, so it's a brain-based condition, and it's present in development. So the features are always present uh, during childhood. It's specifically a neurologic condition of behavior and uh, social interaction and behavior. And so it's completely separate from intellect which is a different brain function. And we, we, we combine the two, but they're completely separate. And for mental illness, really, that, that's going to be an area we have to grow in because some of the things we probably put in that category probably have a strong neurologic basis. But in general, if you're really talking about mental health, this could be like an adjustment reaction where I've you know lost my job, I'm depressed, I need to talk this through, I need... I need someone on that path. So that would really be amenable to counseling and coaching and, and um, self-awareness in those areas. And some of these neurologic things are going to be parts of our body that we can influence, but we can't completely talk ourselves through. Right. So there's an enormous difference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What are some of the common autistic behaviors in children and adults? I know you wrote a book about it. Yeah, so there are three um, social criteria and there are four criteria about repetitive behavior. So it has to do with social interaction in the sense that the person on the spectrum exchanges less emotional and personal content with other people. They can be much more task or topic oriented, but much less aware of the other person that they're engaging in. Sometimes they really want to have close uh, relationship connections, but that just feels very difficult for them to achieve and they get lost in the relationship. They're not quite sure what happened and why. And in the, these other categories of behavior that are part of it, we have this difficulty with flexibility that's brain-based. So the center and the front of the brain are in charge of helping us stick on something that's really meaningful and imp important and to release that when it's not meaningful anymore. So someone in the spectrum may have qualities that look kind of OCD or it may look like these repetitive movements or echoing speech so a lot of repetition and getting stuck and also some sensory processing issues or really being fixated on certain topics. 
So yeah, that's very good to clarify and also to help people to identify the signs. Uh, what causes people not to pursue the um, diagnosis and what are the consequences of living without a diagnosis? I think there are so many factors. Some of the main ones are that the diagnosis really wasn't uh, established the way we conceptualize it now until the 80s. So many people who are adults have really grown up in a culture that wasn't aware of that. But still, even now, the research shows that we're really missing identifying many of our, uh, the children in our communities as well. I think one of the problems is that we began understanding that thinking skills were part of brain function back in the 1800s. And now, 100 years later, we have community services that support people with developmental challenges with thinking. But we're so far behind to understand that the brain impacts behavior. And parents are really encouraged to uh, use consequences and reasoning and teaching. And sometimes those aren't the best approaches for this person that's struggling. Um, many adults, too, even when they um, consider maybe this is me, like I kind of resonate with that, everyone around them will probably jump in and say, no, uh, you aren't. And we're really, uh, we've really improved with autism awareness in the sense that people know that word but we're so far behind to recognize what it looks like. So this is what it looks like in my neighbor, in my household, in my, uh, in my workplace, that this is the main problem. What does it actually look like? And then, of course, people are nervous, I think, of being labeled or misunderstood. So they're reluctant to do that as well. Wow. So it seems to me like the first thing to address is the, um, the stigma because this is about health. Right, yeah, yeah. And I love the way you're putting out there the message is so profound because you really emphasize uh, that knowledge is important because that brings understanding and understanding brings healing. Yeah, the truth of what's happening for these people is, is really important. That brings the freedom. And so to get that right is really important. What is the connection between autism diagnosis and well-being precisely? I think it really hits to um, this deeper understanding. I think in families where there's this struggle between individuals and the family about why can't you be different? Why do you not meet my expectations? And the person is feeling like I'm, I'm trying, I just, I just can't get there. There's this huge aha moment of when they hear about this diagnosis where they almost just exhale all of this stress and then you have options, then you have understanding, then you have more support, then you have validation. And that's when you can take up more space. You can say, this is my goal. How actually could I get there? Uh, so that release of a wrong narrative, like the, the wrong narrative of somebody not trying or somebody not caring uh, and moving into the space of, oh, that makes complete sense. And they just kind of relax into that. And, and then they can say, okay, now we've got options. 
So talk to me about the five reasons why it's never too late to pursue an ASD evaluation or diagnosis. I think one of the biggest reasons that I've run into is that sense of validation that when you think that behavior is willful or that someone's disregarding the relationship um, and then you realize it's neurologic, you just again have that opening of understanding. And so validation about the neurologic process and then understanding what actually makes you tick is what increased self-awareness. And then you get to say, this is what I call the way I tick. This is what I need. Um, so there's just a lot of things that people say, I wish I had known this earlier. And I'm so glad that now I can express something people can understand. Another reason is that there are a lot of recommendations that are specific to or fairly specific to autism that really you're not going to get uh, with a diagnosis that's mental health related or somehow disconnected from, from the autism diagnosis. So um, a lot of that has to do with sensory processing uh, qualities. And I do a lot of teaching about using sensory physical inputs to calm the nervous system that it's very helpful in autism. There can be social skills training I also just watch a lot of things related to autism that isn't part of the diagnosis, but I know that someone with autism might have a lot of sleep difficulty or they might be overwhelmed with driving or they might have a really narrow um, nutritional uh, repertoire that I just eat the same thing every day. And these are part of wellness things too that I would ask about if I know what the diagnosis is. So there's lots of things that are specific uh, that we could could have um, education for and just support for understanding. Right. And I see one of them, the reasons that you mentioned was the benefit from receiving emotional regulation strategies. Yeah, that, um, so a big part of the um, center and front part of the brain, a core part of autism is going to be difficulty just staying calm and centered and focused at the same time. So someone in the spectrum might have a lot of fight reactions, so meltdowns or outbursts. Some might have flight reactions. I'm going to my room. I'm quitting this conversation. And some might have those freeze reactions like I'm not even, I'm here, but I'm not processing. I can't uh, even remember what happened to me today, those kinds of freeze and shutting down reactions. And the sensory inputs are really important for those. Um, and they bring a lot of calming to the nervous system uh, in addition to other things that you might do, like thinking about what just happened and making really appropriate expectations. So if somebody's wanting you to be uh, different or to handle something different and that just pushes you too far, then we can educate people about what you need in your environment. Yeah. And another thing, it's alternative medicine, meditation. Do you also recommend? Yeah, right. I do. Um, and you know what? This is a really important point because there's a lot of individual pattern of struggle and ability in the spectrum. And some of my clients really uh, benefit from that. They like it. Um, even like 
sometimes there's a fascination for people on the spectrum with certain sounds or certain um, moving images like water uh, waterfalls. And so that can be part of that. And for other people, they really feel it's very neurologically difficult for them to be internal, to recognize their internal state and to sit with that. Um, so there's a little bit of variability there, but um, definitely just especially those, the sense that someone might love, the things they might like to listen to or to watch, and then being being quiet and um, being more mindful. Right. Do you also recommend um, a change in the way they eat, diet change, dietary change? You know, um, that's one of the important reasons to know that there's autism there because there are neurologic reasons why that diet is going to look different uh, than the wide variety we're able to tolerate. So what I recommend there is that there may be really important parts related to wellness that we have to pay attention to. Like I had one woman who was diabetic and was eating only mashed white potatoes and that was all she could tolerate. So we really worked within her tolerance, within her ability, and we were able to add some nutrition shakes that she could tolerate. Uh, so working within and knowing that'll be a challenge, but we can still make progress. So it's very individualized, yeah, customized, is not. It right? is. Um, what about medication? Do they need to take medication? So there are four areas that medication is sometimes recommended for, and it's not going to again change the neurology, but okay, sometimes right. it can add this layer of support that really can be helpful. So as long as we have appropriate expectations, the medication does not work as well uh, and as much for neurotypical folks. And that is a lot because the neurology is just different, but it can support the chemistry. And those four areas have to do with attention, sleep, emotions, and anxiety, and also outbursts. So sometimes that can be a layer of symptom support for somebody that really needs to feel better in their own skin. Thank you so much for the work you do, the um, awareness, and going back to that point of not stigmatizing any kind of conditions or behaviors, but instead uh, trying to understand. I really love that about your work. Yeah, it can be so individualized, and that is just very satisfying. Right, right. Would you like to add anything or um, read a passage in one of your books before I ask you my final questions? I'll just add one more um, real benefit of we'll, we'll bust one myth about why not to get a diagnosis and add a benefit. So the myth is that being assigned a label will be limiting or stigmatizing. Um, and certainly we never know what people will think of the diagnosis, but what I found is that people label us either way. So we'll, we'll so either true. be, <laughs> we'll either so be carrying a label like lazy or narcissistic or uh, stubborn, or we'll be carrying a wrong diagnosis like mm. bipolar or borderline personality. And so then we don't get access to what we actually need. So my real recommendation is that to get on the right path, 
we we really need that right descriptor. And then we can also break the stigma. Yeah, how wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Teresa. How wonderful. And my, would you like to add anything else? Um, no, I'm um, How do you define success? What is to be successful to you? I like success, the thought of success that's individualized. So rather than being above or beyond other people, success for me is uh, committing to challenge myself uh, with myself rather than somebody else and then to add meaning um, and to grow in kind of a meaningful way. Uh, to me, that's always successful. Even when I can't fix something, even when I fail, even when I uh, I look back and think, gosh, I would do that differently. Um, to me, that's still the, that personal challenge to be okay in different environments and to, and to still grow over time. So it's more within myself than across compared to other people. Right, right. I love that. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself? The hardest thing I've had to learn is that I'm very task oriented and I'm very data oriented. So as a student forever in graduate school and, you know, I really can master that kind of memorization of data and I, I can solve problems and do tasks, but I really had to grow in my comfort level with being okay entering situations that are messy and complex and there's no way to have the right answer <laughs> and there's there's no uh, A on the test, you know, there's just this, like, I don't know what a good outcome would be, but I'm here. Like I can walk into this situation, even though I don't know what to do and I can um, be present here, even if I'm not accomplishing a task. That was probably my my greatest growth area over years. And I, I know I'm still growing in that area. Um, but being a very task-oriented person, I had to be aware that I needed to balance that out for, for health and well-being. I think you speak for all of us at, at some level, <laughs> um, for sure. <laughs> do you believe in unconditional self-love? I, I do. I think that self-awareness and validation that we've talked about really helps with that, that, that your behavior and your shortcomings and the things that are challenging to you at some level, there's still this very important inherent value. And to be able to know that about yourself and um, connect with that without having to change first, I think is, is really important. That's, that's a hard thing to learn too, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yes. Right. It's a practice for life. Yes. And I think I have two more questions. I have perhaps three. Um, if you knew you would die soon, meaning leaving the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? I actually don't think I would, which maybe, uh, I don't know. I think I actually don't think I would change anything specifically if I knew I was going to pass. Of course, I'd I'd take time to um, probably communicate with some people before, but I, I'm not a person that has lived with a lot of regret. I feel like I have always tried to embrace things that are of value and important to me and meaningful. And so I don't know that I would. I don't know that I would. 
Yeah, I like that. Um, that's the best answers I get. Uh, I wouldn't change anything or, <laughs> yeah. yeah, or not much. Yeah. <laughs> that's wonderful. Uh, do you believe in any kind of life after death? Yeah, I do. In the, in the Christian framework, I, I, um, believe in being with God forever. And, but it's very interesting about what that will look like. I believe that there'll be, individual callings and and work and and meaning and relationships there so um that's a big unknown i guess but i used to think of it much more ethereally and kind of with clouds and (laughs) i think (laughs) now i think Uh of it uh as much more um with meaning and again having those things that we contribute Right, right. It doesn't sound very different from this reality. Right. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, some of the, yeah, just more freedom, I think, more healing, more more freedom from some of the striving and the fear and that kind of thing. But yeah, just very, that meaningful part that we have purpose, we contribute to the community, we have meaning, we bless other people. I think those things will still be part of that longer reality. What are three things about life you know for sure as of today? Three things that I know for sure. Yeah. I really feel very grounded in knowing that God's in a relationship with me. I feel grounded in that. Um, I don't know all the ins and outs of that, and I keep learning, but um, that's something that's grounding. Um, I know that whatever I'm doing, if I'm blessing other people. That's the main mission that I have. So I could do other types of work and find meaning. I think I do. I do feel very grounded in that reality. And I, I do feel um, like being in a, finding your tribe <laughs> um, mm-hmm. in, a, in a social uh, group that uh, challenges you and values you at the same time. I think that that's uh, one of the things I really know that I have right now and that I value immensely. Oh, yeah, being challenged, but at the same time loved. <laughs> um, yeah, it has been a peaceful conversation, Dr. Teresa. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your genuine presence. Thank you. Thank you. It was really nice to be here. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So my um, website is adultandgeriatricautism.com. So I'm really evolving that. It's been really a nice thing to sink my teeth into and develop. There's a new community forum where people can share experiences and ideas. There's some articles, there's videos, and I'm really excited to keep developing that. And I also have a Facebook page, Autism in the Adult, that people are welcome to stop by and kind of follow as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Teresa Reagan, please visit her website, adultandgeriatricautism.com. To learn 
more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark, Eric Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Thank you.